Jesus, we pray that you would please speak to us through your word and set us free, free to follow you, free from the fears that bind us. Lord, take the chains off through the power of your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Just want to welcome those of you watching online or watching in the community center. It is great to have you with us. There is an old saying that uh, some of you may have heard before about the world according to a toddler. And it goes like this. If I want it, it's mine. If you want it, it's mine. If I've ever touched it, it's mine. If you've ever touched it, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> that sort of sums up not just toddlers, but I think all of us in one way or another. Because no matter how much we have in life, we always want more, especially if someone else has it. Which brings us to the Tenth Commandment. Do not covet your neighbor's house, their spouse, their donkey, which I know is a tough one for you guys, you donkey coveters, you. Nor your neighbor's Lexus, nor their job, nor how their marriage is, their vacation, or how much hair they have. And the reason that God says do not covet is because he doesn't want us to have good things. No. As we've talked about this whole fall, the Ten Commandments are meant to set us free to thrive at peak performance, and coveting binds us and puts us in slavery. Now let me define the word. Coveting is not wanting. Wanting can be just fine depending on what we want. Coveting is wanting on steroids. Coveting is when we start to want something so badly that it affects our moods or our behaviors. It's the feeling that I cannot be happy unless I have that thing or that, you know, that car, that promotion, that whatever it is that that person has. And coveting wrecks us in two ways. First of all, it wrecks relationships. Because we begin to resent that person for having something that we want. But more than that, it wrecks our contentment and our joy in life. Because we live in a state of perpetual desire that can never be fulfilled. Because as soon as we get the new car, the kitchen remodeled, the promotion, the whatever, we want something else, especially if someone else has it. It's sort of the McDonald's Happy Meal syndrome, right? That's the problem with the Happy Meal. The happy wears off. And I think God included this command just for East Siders. I really do. I think he was really going to do just nine commands, you know? Sort of three times three, the Trinity times itself, right? Something holy like that. But he thought, wait, Bellevue, nope. <laughs> Going to have to include a tenth one. Do not covet. Because one of the things I hear all of you say very frequent to me, male, female, young, old, I hate the pressure around here to keep up with everyone else in a million ways. I've heard many of you say to me, I just feel like a loser. I feel less than other people because my car's not as nice as so-and-so's or my job isn't as fancy or my kids don't get as good of grades or they're not as good at sports or whatever, right? And recently, in the last couple of years, in this economy, a lot of fear about falling behind or a lot of pressure to try to get back to where we were financially a couple of years ago. Why? We feel all this pressure to earn more, do more, achieve more, have more, buy more, max out the credit cards, climb every mountain, ford every stream, right? Follow every rainbow, right? Till you find your dream, right? I mean, why? Because then after all that climbing and fording and following and, you know, rainbowing, what are we? 
exhausted, stressed out, miserable, unhappy people. Because just when we get the kitchen remodeled, darn it, the neighbor, they redid their bathroom, or they lost 20 pounds, or he got a promotion. So in spite of the fact that we have more than anyone else has ever had in all of human history, we're miserable. Never have so many had so much for so long and been so unhappy about it. How's it working for you, Eastside? You ready to get off the hamster wheel? Are you ready to say, I've got enough? And as it turns out, enough, by definition, is, well, it's enough. Are you ready to find contentment? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. By contentment, contentment does not mean being lazy. Contentment does not mean lack of achievement. Contentment does not mean lack of success. Contentment means whether I'm VP of sales or in the mailroom, whether I drive a Lexus or a Honda or whatever, right? I am content. It's being able to say with the Apostle Paul, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have a lot. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Doesn't that sound like freedom to you? Sounds like freedom to me. How do we get there? Three things. The first, unmask the lie. When you find yourself wanting something that someone else has, ask yourself, will this really make me happy? And then the most important follow-on question for how long? Because if we've learned anything in the last two years, we've learned that the happiness based on the things our culture tells us we've got to have, you know, the ads or whatever, that can disappear pretty quickly. A man said to me a while back, you know, my wife and I talked for years about downsizing, and now we finally have done it. We used to live in a $700,000 home, now we live in a $400,000 home. It's just that we didn't move. The economy did it for us, right? <laughs> Pastor John Ortberg tells a story that shows how the things that we think will make us happy don't last for very long. He talks about when he was a kid, he would always play Monopoly with his grandmother, but his grandmother would always win. He said she was a very, very nice lady, but when it came to Monopoly, she was ruthless. You know, he says, imagine that Donald Trump and Leona Helmsley had a kid. That was grandma, right? <clears throat> So one summer, he just practiced a lot, and then he got really good at it, and he played his grandmother, and he just went for blood. He said, slowly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's weaknesses. <laughs> Relentlessly drove her off the board. And he said, I can still remember when it happened. It was at Marvin Gardens. <laughs> I looked at her, and I took everything she had. <laughs> but then when it was all over, she said, well, now, Johnny, the game's over. It all goes back in the box. And all that money, houses, hotels, it all goes back in the box. It doesn't last. The promotion, you know, the, that full head of hair, the whatever it is you're coveting, right? It all goes back in the box. In this life even, and certainly in the life beyond. So unmask the lie. Say, the reason I am so stressed out is because I am chasing things that ultimately will not make me happy for very long. Second way to find contentment, tithe. Oh, man, I thought this was a sermon on coveting, and you slipped in tithing. <laughs> Sneaky little pastor. Now, if you've been around churches a long time, you know that once a year, this pastor gives you a sermon on tithing, whether you need it or not, right? And usually you don't think you need it. And I just, I just want to point out, I did not give a sermon on tithing last year. And I'm only going to give you one sermon point on tithing this year, right? Not a whole sermon. It's going to be a long sermon point, but not a whole sermon. 
In the Old Testament, God says give 10% of our income to the church that we're a part of. And yes, the Bible is crystal clear. It goes to the worshiping community you're a part of. And there's scriptures in the bulletin in the question section that, that show that. It's called a tithe. Now, the New Testament ups the ante and says that giving should be sacrificial. So be glad I'm preaching from the Old Testament today. <laughs> for my wife and for me, with our income level, we know that 10% is not enough. So we give 10% here to this church. Over and above that, we give to other Christian causes. But the reason I mention it here is not to make you feel judged. Neither I nor any pastor on this staff knows what any of you give. As far as we're concerned, you're all giving all kinds of stuff, right? And I'm not mentioning it just so the church's operating budget can survive. Yes, that. But honest, guys. Honest. Honest. I've been with you eight years. I'm kind of attached to you. And I want the best for you. Honest. Really. And the reason I mention it is really it, honest for your sake. Because the best way to get out of the misery of coveting and the surest way to find freedom from fears about money is to at least tithe. And yeah, I know we covet other things other than material possessions. I get that. That's true. But on the east side, material stuff, that's a big one. And if we can learn to be free from coveting there, we can be free from coveting in other areas of life. See, the thing is we think if I just have more, if I just have more money, then I will finally not be afraid. It never works that way. We just worry more, which is why every study ever done shows that after the basic needs of life are met, happiness actually decreases the more money you make. Every study ever done. And tithing frees us from fear and coveting in two ways. The first is this. You discover that God provides. Maybe not for your wants, but for your needs. Recently, I got a call from a friend who lives in California. And he and his wife just had their first child. He's been a Christian his whole life, but he hasn't always felt God's presence in a very real way. So he started praying about this. One day, he was going over his finances, and he started to feel like he wanted to give more. Well, his wife's highest value is security. And they don't, they don't make a lot of money, but he talked it over with her and he said, look, I think God will provide for us. And he said that was hard to say because he's gone to church his whole life and he's heard all the stories pastors tell about people who tithed and didn't know if they're going to make their bills, but then miraculously God provided. And he said, I hate those stories. They're stupid. Right? But he said, let's trust God. Well, she was crying and feeling a lot of anxiety, but finally she said, okay, let's do it. So they increased their giving by an uncomfortable margin, wrote the first check, and mailed it. About an hour later, she suddenly said, oh, oh, I see something already. And she'd missed some detail in their bills, which partly made up for the extra money that they decided to give. Well, then the next day, they went to dinner with her family, and her grandmother gave her just a bunch of money, lots of money. And then her father gave her even more money. So on the way home, it was real quiet in the car, and she said to her husband, you want to say, I told you so, don't you? And he said, well, kind of, yeah. And they said, but mostly, I feel like God just tapped me on the shoulder and said, I'm right here, and I love you, and I'm going to take care of you. And he said, I feel like we're safe with him. And then as he was telling me this story, he suddenly paused, and he said, oh, no, I just realized something. And I said, what? And he said, I've become one of those awful stories I hate that preachers always tell. And I said, yes, you have, and I'm telling your story. When he tithed, he found that God provided, which eased his fears about money. Now, I cannot promise you that every time you tithe, your grandma, flushed from a Monopoly tournament, is going like, to give you tons of money, right? I can't promise that. But I can tell you, you'll see God provide. And the second way tithing frees us from coveting and fear is we discover that we can be happy on less than we thought we could 
or on less than the television commercials say that we can be happy on. You don't buy things you otherwise could, your lifestyle adjusts around it, and pretty soon you realize, what do you know? I actually didn't need that in the first place, and I'm actually happier without it. What do you know? Madison Avenue lied to me. Shocking. Right? And that is freedom. I got an email from a woman in our church who had read in one of our church publications that, uh, you know, that in, an, in an anonymous survey we did last spring, about a quarter of you reported that you tithe, which is slightly higher than the national average. You guys are a generous church. She wrote this, though. She said, I was disturbed to learn that only a quarter of the church tithes. Ten years ago, I was happily married, debt-free, had a substantial retirement investment, and was employed on a well-paying contract at Boeing. Then a year later, my marriage fell apart, my portfolio shrank by 60%, and I was out of work in what was then the worst economy since the Depression. Learning to truly trust God with my future was a long journey. But I believe the key was my decision to take him up on his invitation to test him and tithe even on my unemployment checks. At this point, I'm not sure about my retirement. I'm still working, but I am free from worry for the first time in my life. And I would not dream of skipping a tithe. I do so hope other people can get to this same point of freedom. I am praying about this. This is from one of you. So who's freer, this woman or the person who has a couple of million dollars in the bank but is worried about the next downturn in the stock market? This woman, she's not worried. She's not comparing herself to others. She's not consumed with wanting more and more. She is free. So for your own sake, will you do this? And you know, I know we all have all kinds of excuses around this. All kinds of excuses. Sort of like the, the story of the boy whose mom gave him two quarters and said, one is for you and one is to give to Jesus at church. Then while he was walking to church, he dropped one of the quarters and it rolled down the drain. And he said, oh, bummer, Jesus, there goes your quarter. Right, we got all kinds of reasons not to do this, right? Well, it's a big church. They don't need my money. Well, yeah, actually we do, you know. We've cut salaries here. We've cut all kinds of other stuff. We, are, we have far fewer staff than most churches our size. We're trying to do a lot with a little. But that's not the point. The point is about obedience to God and trusting him that he will provide for us. Well, I give to a lot of other really worthy causes. Husky football, they need my help. Well, God knows they need something, right? But they are not the kingdom of God. I just made the Cougars fans really happy, right? <laughs> and my wife and I give to many other Christian causes, but after we've given 10%, here, first, because Scripture tells us to, and because this church changes lives. Every year, I get emails about marriages saved through ministries in this church, of children or youth who are on a destructive path, path that were rescued out of that path by our youth department, children's department. The support we give the Eastside Academy, Jubilee Reach Center, helps families in need, helps at-risk teens in Africa, Cambodia, Cambodia, Haiti, all around the world. We're helping people out of poverty in the name of Jesus. And we feel called to do more, help more people out of poverty. We'd love to reach out to young adults in our community. This is a generation that does not know Jesus, and very few churches are reaching out to them. We feel we should be one of them. So please, for your sake, 10%. And I know you've got financial commitments, but ask yourself, which ones can I get out of? And then ask this, why am I financially committed to the margins? Is it because I'm coveting? Is it because I'm trying to keep up with others in terms of schools for my kids or houses or cars or whatever? So here's my challenge. Try tithing for nine months.
Try tithing for nine months, you know, as long as it takes to have a baby. Try tithing for nine months if it is not a blessing to you in one of the following ways. If you don't feel freer from financial fear, if you don't see God provide, if you don't discover you can be content on less, and if you don't find joy in how your money changes lives, if one of those things doesn't happen to you in nine months, stop tithing. Now, I just gave our elders a heart attack, <laughs> especially the finance elders. There's one former one sitting in the second row. He's laughing really hard. I don't think you're going to stop. You know why? I've never met an unhappy tither. I've never met a tither who doesn't say it's a huge blessing. Nine-month challenge. Give her a go. End of long sermon point. You're off the hook for another year. All right. Let's review. To break free of constant pressure to have more, unmask the lies, tithe, and finally, cooperate with what God is doing in your life, how he's trying to grow you, and what he's doing in the world. Jesus says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths destroy and where thieves and the IRS and Wall Street break in and steal. It's right there in the King James. <laughs> but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In other words, what we invest in is what we care about. So if we invest in eternal things by cooperating with how God is trying to grow us and by what he's doing in the world, we will not care about how much we have or don't have. We'll be free of that. Let me read you another email I got from a woman in our church who was unemployed for a couple of years, and she just got a new job, and this is what she wrote. She said, during the past three years, I've been humbled losing my husband, my job, my prestige, and my financial security. Just when I thought there was little left to be taken away, I had a health issue that required $10,000 that I did not have. Did I get angry at God? Oh, yeah. But God showed me he was still there to love me and guide me, and he did that through this church. My small group Bible study loved me and kept me in the word despite my grumblings. Dana preached a sermon on the prodigal son at a time when I needed it most. My beloved chancel choir gave me friendships and a creative outlet to express my love of God when my words seemed hollow. And tutoring at-risk kids at KidReach gave me a volunteer outlet when the oh-poor-me feeling started to overwhelm. I am now more humble with much more empathy for the chronically unemployed. The Holy Spirit and Christ's loving words brought me back to God, and I knew that whether I understood him or not, he was still my God, and he loved me. I mean, is it a coincidence that the company where I just got my new job is named Halo Source? I don't think so. That's right, the name is Halo. So now to him who is able to do more than we can ask, glory and honor to him. Here's a woman who could have had a lot of coveting, a lot of fear, a lot of wanting more, and she did have some of that. But she also found peace, hope, and contentment through the ministry of this church, which you all support, but also through cooperating with how God was growing her in a hard time and by participating with what God was doing in the world by tutoring at-risk kids. She invested in eternal things, and what could have been a giant descent into fear turned into something that got her closer to God and freer from fear and from coveting. Do you want to get off the east side hamster wheel? Always feeling inadequate, always thinking if I only had, if I could just get, and never feeling content. Unmask the lies of our culture, tithe, and cooperate with God in how he's growing you and what he's doing in the world. Let me close with a story from a man named Nick Wojcik, who some of you may have heard this Sunday at Key Arena. Nick was born without any arms and legs. So if ever a man had a reason to covet and want more, it's Nick. And for a while, he was pretty angry. But he began to draw closer to Jesus in prayer and ask, how can I cooperate with what you're doing in my life in the world? 
And now he has this great ministry going all over the world, giving people hope in the name of Jesus. Well, one time he was preaching to a church, 15,000 people in Indonesia. And afterwards he was in a restaurant, and a girl was at the restaurant door and she was crying. The translator told Nick that the girl didn't have any parents, that she'd, she'd been living in a garbage dump in absolute poverty, and she had decided to give up on God and give up on life. But then she heard a tape of Nick Wojcik speaking, and she thought, he doesn't have any arms, no legs. If, if he didn't give up on God, then I'm not going to either. And so she decided that she wanted to go to Bible college. So she prayed and fasted for God to give her a job. Eventually, she got a job working in that restaurant. She works there 12 hours a day, seven days a week, sleeps on the concrete floor of the restaurant to earn money to go to Bible college, and she just wanted to meet Nick. So they talked for a while, and, and then she went back to work. Well, at that point, the man on Nick's right said, you know, in this country, it is almost impossible to go to Bible college. You've got to take an exam. Only 1% of the people pass it. You need all kinds of money. Well, then the guy on Nick's left started to smile, and Nick said, well, what are you smiling at? And, and the guy said, you don't know who I am, do you? And he, Nick said, no. And he said, well, I'm the pastor of the church you just preached at, and, and our church owns a condo, and if you can put up a little bit of money, then I'll let this girl live in that condo. So Nick said, well, I'll pay for it, even though he doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't make a lot of money. Well, then the guy across from him starts smiling, and Nick said, well, what are you smiling at? And the guy goes, well, I'm a businessman, and I want to pay for the whole thing. And Nick said, no, I want to pay for the whole thing. <laughs> and then this other man started smiling, and Nick said, well, what are you smiling at? And the guy said, I'm the president of the Bible college. <laughs> at this point, everyone's kind of cheering and clapping, right? So they brought the girl back in and said, today you're going to quit your job. You've got a condo to live in. We want you to study, and if you pass the exam, you're going to Bible college, and it's all paid for. She passed it, went to Bible college, and now she's graduating. So you've got a man with no arms and no legs who doesn't make a lot of money but who is more free from fear and coveting and wanting more than most people on the east side. Why? Because he's unmasked the lie that God can't bless him where he's at. That he's got to have more. He's living, he's giving sacrificially and he's investing in eternal things by cooperating with what God is doing in his life and by what God is doing in the world. And look, what a great day he had. And that's just one day that he has all over the world because he's on board with eternal things. He's not wanting more. He can say, I am content in every circumstance. And I know that even when things are hard, Jesus is going to give me hope. He's going to give me peace. He's going to give me confidence, strength, victory, power, and joy. And Jesus is the one to give it to me, not anything else. He will bless me, not when I arrive somewhere, not when I achieve something, not when I get this or find that, not some other time, not some other place, not some other life, not if I just had, not if I only got. Jesus will bless me right here, right now, right where I'm at, and I don't need to go somewhere else to get it because Jesus makes house calls, my Lord delivers. As Psalm 23 puts it, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So Jesus, help us to be free from the lies of this culture that tells us we are not complete unless we just have one more thing. Break those chains, Lord. Set us free from this covetous culture we live in. Help us to rise above it and live life up, not down, in your name, and we'll give you the glory. Amen.